As a philosophy major, one thing I learned very quickly was that many, if not most, Western philosophers throughout the ages believed and continue to believe in the mind-body dichotomy. In other words, they believe the mind is not a part of the body and searched for an explanation to how the mind worked that excludes any mention of the rest of us. In fact, that's where the idea that people have souls come from, that there must be an immaterial part of yourself that transcends death and goes on, depending on your belief, either to heaven or hell, or is perhaps reborn into someone else. Now, as a philosophy major, I found the persistence of this belief baffling. It seems self-evident to me that my mind is part of my body. It's the simplest solution for how one can influence the other so profoundly. They are the same thing. Now we could sit here and debate the origin of such a long-standing belief, and I think I could make an argument that it finds its origins in the anxiety of death. And I've always found this belief troublesome for a different reason. Because I didn't hear anyone tell me that my body was all important in the grand scheme of things. See, long before I decided to major in philosophy and debate the merits of mind-body dualism, the holiness and evangelical churches I attended rarely emphasized the body, except in occasionally talking about all those bodily sins that one could engage in. Basically anything that feels good. <laughs> the focus instead was on souls, epitomized by the quoting of Matthew 10.28, Do not feel, fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so it was that I learned the body holds a secondary place in many Christian theologies, being but a temporary shell that we shouldn't fret over. More than this, though, I was taught to see the body as a thing of shame. I heard my minister preach from the pulpit on the sinfulness of the body, women dressing in immodest ways, men wearing shorts and going shirtless. He would often tell us the story of hurting his leg and being told by his doctor he had to wear shorts and how horrible that was for him because he had to wear a brace on his leg and couldn't wear it over pants. The message was loud and clear to my young mind. The body is a thing to be covered and hidden. People of God don't take pride in their body or even give it much thought. Instead, they hide it away from view. Of course, all this is confounded by the mixed messages society as a whole sends us. 
Actor Chris Pine might have said it best when he said, The mass audience doesn't want to see you if you aren't perfect. If you don't look a certain way, if you don't have big pecs and great skin and perfect eyes, and it's unfortunate because kids are growing up with the body image dysmorphia because not everyone is represented on the screen. In the media, flat tummies and six-pack abs are featured prominently on the covers of fashion magazines. Advertisements prominently feature young, airbrushed people who don't seem to have a flaw in the world. And even if you've never attended a church like the one of my childhood, you've probably absorbed some messages from our culture that insist something is wrong with your body, that you are somehow flawed. And I'm not alone in receiving such mixed messages. Body hate affects so many people in so many different ways. It affects all genders. Though we once thought it confined to women, we now know men equal suf suffer equally. 
under society's expectations of how they should look. And the results can be tragic. With cases of eating disorders surging, depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, and even suicide are unfortunately common byproducts of the quest to be beautiful. We stress ourselves to death, sometimes quite literally, about how our bodies appear to others, to the point we learn that something is desperately wrong with us. Now, as you saw in that video, a few of us love our bodies. Some hate them with a passion, but the majority, I dare say, are somewhere in between. Not exactly hating them, but finding plenty of things wrong that they wish they could change. Body activist Sherry K. Erdman says, even the models we see in magazines wish they could look like their own images. So it is that many people buy into the body obsessive culture that permeates our society. And our culture is all too happy to help offering the constant stream of unsolicited advice and images. And it has an effect on how we view the world. Feminist philosopher Simone de Beauvoir once said, to lose confidence in one's body is to lose confidence in oneself. What a different perspective. To hate your body is to hate yourself. And why? Because you are your body. Every second of every day and you will only survive so long as your body does. So to carry a lot of hatred and self-loathing is to secretly, or not so secretly, hate ourselves. Now since a lot of the self-loathing I developed around my body started because of teachings from the Bible, I thought I'd go back to the Christian scriptures and see what else they have to say about the body. Now imagine my surprise when I found what the Apostle Paul had to say. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he declares, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Take that in for a second. Your body is God's temple. A temple is something that God inhabits, walks through, makes their own. So imagine the implications of this verse. It means that every bit of your body, the parts you love and those you hate, is infused with God. All the philosophers and diet gurus and media images are wrong. Your body is not only okay just the way it is, but according to the Apostle Paul, God approves. Now let me put it this way. Let me put it a slightly different way. Your body, every bit of it, Every wrinkle, freckle, crease, and pain is holy and sacred. Our chalice lighting this morning told us to remember the inner light within each of us. And it is true. There is not a single thing you need to change. 
And there is no one to whom you have to justify your look. Your body is perfect. Even if it seems to be falling apart, even if you don't have six-pack abs or a flat stomach, and even if parts of you aren't working the way they once did, as we heard about in our poem. In the words of author Amy Bloom, you are imperfect, permanently and inevitably flawed, and you are beautiful. Or in the words of our hymn this morning, how could anybody ever tell you, you are anything less than beautiful? Feminist writer Naomi Wolf says that the beauty myth, as she calls it, the idea that we must conform to societal understanding of what it means to be beautiful isn't about be appearance at all, but about controlling behavior. For example, diet products, in order to be profitable, need you and many other people to see your body as not being sacred in order to sell you their latest fad, promising to help you achieve perfection and happiness. But what if perfection has been there all along? Seeing our bodies as already sacred or holy can open up a world of new possibilities. How different would our lives be if we took this idea seriously? that our bodies are sacred. Would you be less self-conscious than you previously have? Would you buy that beautiful shirt you're not sure will look good on you? Would you be less focused on fixing so-called flaws and more focused on the things in life that matter and are in some cases passing you by? Naomi Wolf continues that she wins who calls herself beautiful and challenges the world to truly see her. To call yourself beautiful is a radical and revolutionary act today. To see the holiness that is embedded in every cell of your body calls you to take seriously the idea that your body is beautiful. Now, this isn't to say we're going to create a brand new list of things you shouldn't do with your body. That would be wrong-headed. I won't be advocating throwing your makeup or lipstick or nail polish your way or not wearing certain types of clothes. Instead, I want to encourage us to engage in behaviors not for how we think they will make us look to others or fulfill some arbitrary standard of beauty but to live up to the best person we see in ourselves. Find your magic. Ironically, the second video is an advertisement, but it's an advertisement from Britain. Got the suit. 
Now you don't need a suit when you got the moves. Or moves when you got the fire. Or fire when you rock those heels. And heels when you ride those wheels. Looks, man, who needs looks when you got the books? Or books when you got some balls. And who needs all that when you get the door? When you got the dough, the brains, the touch, the uh -huh. That's right. We need some other thing when you got your thing. Now work on it. I find that advertisement incredibly, incredibly challenging and uplifting of what if we were encouraged to find our magic and not to find someone else's magic. When you find your own magic, when you see your body as sacred, when you take your body seriously, you realize that you belong in the world, that there is never anything wrong with your body to begin with. You inspire others to love their bodies and break the scripts that our systems tell us about which bodies are okay. You transform the world. Let us each day make strides to make every body, every day, feel that they are holy and whole. May it be so.